Welcome to the Maritime Podcast, and you're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and today we're in conversation with Julian Clark, senior partner with law firm Inns. Julian is a world-renowned maritime lawyer, but that is not why we're talking to him today. Instead, it is about his passion for music and how he put this into raising money and awareness for seafarers' welfare through the Sing for Seafarers campaign. Welcome, Julian. Hi, Marcus. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. I think first off, I'd just like to ask you a little bit about how the Sing for Seafarers project came about and if you can explain to our listeners how this project came together. Sure, Marcus. As you say, uh, as well as being a lawyer, I have had a life as a professional musician. That's where I started. I started off doing music and came to law later. I also, because of the job I do, have a passion for the rights and welfare of seafarers. If it wasn't for seafarers, none of us would have a job and there'd be nothing on the shelves and we wouldn't be able to have our clothes or our food or our, our fuel. And what became apparent through the COVID crisis, even before we got to the, the height of the horror, 400,000 seafarers trapped on board vessels, was that seafarers were having a really hard time. And I was listening to the radio broadcasts about key workers and, you know, like everybody else in the country, I was going out bagging pots and pans for the National Health Service and thought, what about the seafarers? You know, they're kind of the invisible unsung key workers and heroes in all this that they're trapped on ships in metal boxes in their cabins and, and nobody's banging pots and pans for them so what could we do to try and raise some awareness and hopefully raise a bit of money for them as well and 12 months previously i'd done something with the sailor society where i donated a song that i composed actually at the request of the singapore shipowners association and I gave them that song and we raised a bit of money on the sales of that song. We set up a new distribution network for it. So if you ordered it from Spotify, it, you get some money. And it, you know, it raised, I think it raised about three or four thousand pounds and it got quite a few hits. But I wanted to do something bigger and better. And so this idea came to me of two things. One, what if we got a global choir together? What if we did a thing a bit like Feed the World and what did you do today to make yourself uh, proud? And get a lot of different voices coming in, and including voices of seafarers. And the second thing was, rather than pick a song that I'd done, because who's Julian Clark? Let's pick a song that everybody knows. And the obvious one that came to mind was, I wonder if we could get a chance to do Rod Stewart's Sailing. I am sailing. How did you come to the choice of song on Sailing by Rod Stewart? So, you know, you're thinking about songs that are associated with the sea. And I live down in Cornwall. Um, so uh, in one of the bands I play in, my bass player is big friends with the Fisherman's Friends. So there was a thought about, you know, do we go down the sea shanty route? But again, one of the things that was driving me in this was to try to get awareness outside of our community. So, you know, the maritime sector know about a lot of these issues, know about seafarers, but 
I found that I'd be talking to people in the in the street, people in my village, or uh, friends internationally that weren't involved in shipping. And when you'd say this figure of there's four hundred thousand seafarers trapped at sea, they'd say, "Oh, for a minute there, I thought you said four hundred thousand." He said, "I did." And it, they were just gobsmacked. You know, they just didn't realise you know, just the amount of people work in our sector, uh, and also what was happening to them. So. I thought, you know, a, a sea shanty or a, any, you think of some, something like the hymn uh, that was in Peril on the Sea, but I wanted to think of something that was more popular. So I started looking at more popular tracks that have got sea connections um, and sailing became an obvious choice for that. Very, very well-known song. And actually, although I was mistaken about this, I thought that's quite an easy song. Um so quite an easy song for people to sing to and quite an easy song to do a cover version of. Uh, actually, I was mistaken because when I started learning uh, the parts in it, it's actually quite a clever song. There's a keyboard organ part on it that I play, which is actually quite intricate when you start listening behind the track to exactly what the Hammond is doing. And then when we got to the guitar parts, we realised there were about six or seven different guitar lines that are going on in sailing. So, yeah, quite a complex song. But, of course, you're then trying to sing Rod Stewart, and he's not bad, he's Rod. So uh, trying to replace Rod's vocal was uh, quite a challenge as well. I must admit, I never realised it was such a complicated song. I'll have to go back and listen to it more closely. And uh, I think it would be interesting to sort of put here as well for our listeners to break that down, uh, what you were just saying there. Mm. Now, you've also managed to get, from what I can see, some quite big-name involvement in terms of the production and for the video. Uh, how did that come about? Um, again, it's through connections of mine from my time in the music industry. So on the music side, I knew this was going to be, well, even before we knew just how impacted we'd be by the pandemic, the idea of bringing together 20, 30, 40, and I think we ended up with over 60 voices. Um, and editing and mixing that down so it actually worked was going to be a really complicated thing. And I was very lucky to have worked for the last five or six years with a Grammy Award winning uh, record producer called George Schilling. There is a story about how I got to know George, which, which if we've got time, I could tell you about. Um, so I phoned George up and asked him if he'd worked with it. He agreed. I mean, he's worked with the police, he's worked with Sting, he's worked with a whole list of fantastic A-list performers. So that's, that's where the music and editing and mastering side was going to get done. Of course, then complicated by the fact that we realised we couldn't actually get into a studio, so we ended up doing the whole thing virtually. And then on the other side, obviously very important to put a video together. And again, this was in many ways by chance. One of my partners in the firm in Greece is a guy called Ronan Ladou, who is a ship finance lawyer. Uh, his partner, um, in a non-legal sense, uh, is a film director uh, and a film producer. Uh, and Athena is, again, award-winning. And I told Athena about the project, and she said, yeah, I'm really excited. So she brought it on board, this incredible award-winning editing and film team that supported us as well. That's fantastic. I am just going to ask you, how did you get to know George Lee? Here I managed to blow my legal career by show, showing how much I can't be trusted. I had an original band called Love Street. We were doing our first album and I'd been researching producers and I'd come across George. Uh, 
through you know the the amount of work he's done. If you look on his website, which is uh, George Schilling Music, I think is how you feel. But if you Google George Schilling, you'll find him incredible list of people that he's worked with. Um, so I decided I'd really like him to be the producer, but how do I get hold of him? Um, and there'd been a news article saying that he was recording, I uh, can't remember which band it was now. Um, it, was a, it was a chart band uh, and he was working in Abbey Road. So I phoned up Abbey Road and posed uh, myself as being somebody that was working in another studio with him and said, hi, uh, you know, th this is uh, Jules. I'm from Riverside Studios. I've got a real problem. George asked me to do something for him uh, and uh, I've lost his mobile number and I've got to call him tonight because we're up against the deadline. Um, can you just give me his mobile number? Uh, and the full person at Abbey Road said, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So they gave me his mobile. So I, so I phoned him up uh, on his mobile. He was on a train. And the first thing he said was, how did you get this number? And I told him and he said, yeah, well, that's cheeky enough for me to have a further conversation with you or call you when I get home. Uh, and he called me and we've, we've become great friends since then. So That's a great story. Um, I think our listeners should be aware if you ever asked for somebody's phone number there. <laughs> yeah, don't give it to me because <laughs> I'll end up drawing them into doing some massive charity project for free. That sounds excellent, actually. Uh, you mentioned there about some of the challenges of bringing this together. You, I think you said 50, 60 uh, different singers um, and you couldn't get in a recording studio. So how did you actually, how did all of this come together? So the first thing we needed to do was create a backing track so that people could actually, you know, have something to sing along to. And we were working with Athena and with George to work out the best way which to uh, capture the voices. Um, and that was the first challenge. So I pulled together a bunch of friends, some of them not professional musicians, but very keen amateurs. So uh, Alex Terides, who is the head of risk and compliance at INS, is a bass player. So Alex played bass on it. Um, a friend of his uh, called Ant, uh, Ant Moore, uh, would said that he'd do the drum tracks. Uh, and then I worked with a session musician, uh, guitarist that I know, Paul Meering from London. Uh, as a session player, I was going to do the keyboards and I'd do the the, the track vocal, the ghost vocal. Um, and then we also brought in Ricardo Rosas, who's a brilliant lawyer in Chile, who's also a brilliant guitarist. And we started to record our own parts at home. We've all got home studios. We all recorded our parts and sent them to George uh, and said, here you go. And we all got an email from George said, uh, this guy's is absolutely fantastic. Uh, he said, the reason, I, the reason it's absolutely fantastic is how have five musicians managed to play the song in five different keys, starting at five different points and all playing out of time with each other? So it was just an absolute car crash the first time we tried it. So what we then did was George provide us with, provided us with a click track um, and a timed in count and gave us some very detailed instructions on what format we needed to record on, how we needed to record it. Uh, so we tried again, uh, we sent all the tracks to him individually, so we were emailing tracks across to him, and then he put the whole thing together, and suddenly we had a backing track that worked. So 
So we've now got something people could sing along to. Uh, we've worked out that what we could do is we could get people to film themselves singing or get somebody to film them and then they'd need a second iPhone where they could put a, an earpiece or a set of headphones so they could listen to the backing track and then sing along. And then what we, we did was we sent 60 of those voice files across to George and together George and I started thinking about how we could edit them in because instead of just having 60 voices all singing all together we wanted to create this feed the world type thing where you'd have one voice and then perhaps two voices and then more voices and we were very lucky to get an entire primary school uh, involved so we had this this choir of kids as well that we, we we mixed into it as the song and the track built so yeah it's, it's amazing i mean when i cast my mind back to how i started in music and the way you used to record uh, compared to what you can now do virtually it's just incredible it, it is amazing that you could get all those people together and bring uh, i mean i've obviously I've listened to the vinyl version and you know you can bring it all together without having people physically in the same place or you know the other side of the world by the sounds of it in some cases and what was amazing was the quality of it i mean in, in music now and you know recording and processing you can do an awful lot to change people's voices so there are you know systems like auto-tune that basically if somebody is singing out of, out of tune you can manipulate it to put them in tune i remember george phoning me up and saying to me i'm not having to use auto-tune on this so this is quite remarkable and he also said look you know it's there's going to be some voices that are not perfect but i don't want this to be false you know the whole point of this campaign is it's hearing the voices of the people and therefore it's got to be real and so you know it's not going to be perfectly edited so what you're hearing is you are really hearing the voices of the people which i was just blown away by Just one thing that I wanted to pick up on you mentioned there was uh, you got primary school uh, class involved. How did that come about? Again, through one of our lawyers in uh, one of our office, uh, we've got some officers in Wales, and that particular lawyer works with this primary school uh, and said, you know, would that be okay? We had to go through a process, obviously, of getting permissions from the parents. But yeah, she then went down, she got the primary school together played them the backing track and they sang along. You know, it, it makes the recording even more special for me because not only did we have all these voices from all across the world, I mean, from the South China Sea to Chile to to Europe, we had voices from the States, but we also had a, a, a group of people from a retired seafarers centre. So guys really at the end of their lives and their careers, but then you've got really young children. So you've got this spectrum of... I think there's something like 15, 20 different nationalities. Um, so you've got different nationalities, you've got different sexes, different races, and different ages, all singing for a common purpose. So sort of truly global and that huge age range, as you mentioned. Yeah. It? 
That's amazing. Um, one of the things I must admit, I hadn't realized there were so many musically talented people in inns um, so, and, in, and around the world. I've found actually over my years that there seems to be some synergy between law and music. There's there's quite a few lawyers knocking around who are either really active musicians or at least you know still play for their own uh, entertainment and as a way to you know get out of the stress of the job. Um, so ins we've got an ins band um, uh, which covers everything from you know voice to guitars to. To, to drums, to you name it. There's an inch choir, which is a more traditional choir. Um, but then the International Bar Association, so lawyers from all over the world, there's a fantastic band called Seven Seas uh, that plays there, and that's that's lawyers from all over the world. Um, and one of the great things uh, as a result of, you know, it's a personal thing in many ways, but a great thing as a result of these connections we've made, uh, Ricardo, uh, this amazing lawyer in Chile, has two bands. One's an original band called Pacifico, uh, and he also has a covers band. And Pacifico are a touring band. You know, they do big festivals. And he's just asked me to work with him on a track for their next album, um, where I'm going to do a kind of duet, a joint vocal uh, with their lead singer. And again, we're going to get George Schilling to help us edit and produce that. And so again, here's one of these examples of what you can do, because uh, Ricardo's band's in Chile. I've met Ricardo in the past, but I've never met the rest of the band. But here I am now listening to the individual tracks and writing my part, which I'll record with George, probably in the studio now that we're post-COVID, and then we'll mix it together. Which, interestingly, of course, it, it, it has been done in the past. You know, Ebony and Ivory, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder, they never met. They recorded that totally separately. So we'll see what comes out of that. Hmm, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with it. Um... Uh, just um, talking about ints and you know, and also the charities that you've got involved in this project. What's what's what the roles been of both your the firm you work for and uh, the charities in, in in getting this project together and out to the wider world? Real collaboration, as I said earlier, Marcus. The kind of genesis of this project was an earlier project with the Sailors Society, but then. What struck me was, why are we only working with one of the charities? Why can't we get all the charities together? And it, I understand that, that that had never been done before. The charities obviously all know each other, they all talk to each other, but they'd never done a single collaboration uh, where you get all the four charities together. So I managed to pull them onto a call and pitch the idea to them. Uh, and also the Royal Maritime Museum at Greenwich and uh, ask them to become involved as well. So what we now had was a real collaborative team between the four charities, the Maritime Museum and INS, all working together. And it was great because not only did they support the concept and were very enthusiastic about the concept, but they really helped us in ideas on, on production, on what it should sound like. They were fundamental in putting together some of the video footage that we then provided to Athena, which then turned into those videos. The testimonial videos that we did, that was all due to the charities going out to seafarers and asking them if they would do a testimonial. And one of the things that I find the most emotive about the videos was an idea from Athena, the film producer, who said, why don't we get not only the story from a seafarer at sea, but let's speak to his wife at home and get her to tell her story. And when I have no uh, embarrassment in saying to you, I'm not as close to this as a seafarer that's on board a ship, 
but I'm close to it in the sense that I, I have been at sea myself and I work with seafarers all the time. So I thought I got their story. But when I saw the testimonials, I cried. It just really brought it home to me. And when I saw the families back home talking about how they missed their loved ones, that testimonial where a seafarer talks about just not having the opportunity to play with his son and see his son grow. It's heartbreaking. I mean, I challenge anybody not to be touched by those testimonials. No, I'm already four months on board the ship and four months away from my family. What I really miss the most is being with my son, playing with him every day, and teaching him the things that a father should normally teach. The, the stories are really heartrending, and uh, just some of the ones that I've heard myself, I, I, I completely agree with you. I didn't realize even that the four charities had never worked together before. That's a collaborative. Really. Yeah, the great thing about that is because it's worked so well, we've got a second thing happening. You know, we're continuing to push throughout the year. But as you know, London International Shipping Week is coming up very soon. And so we wanted to do something around that. I'm hoping that there's going to be some opportunities to play the track either recorded or live in the videos at some of the LISW events. But we've decided to launch an awards ceremony, which is basically looking at the seafarer, the master and the company that have contributed most to the COVID crisis and how they've dealt with it. And we're calling for nominations for anybody that wants to nominate, you know, a seafarer, a master or a company. And then we're going to do an awards ceremony on the Tuesday night. And the judging panel is made up of the CEOs of the four charities and the museum. And they're going to all come together. We're going to award some prizes on the Tuesday night. So I really want to keep this momentum going now with getting the, the four charities and the museum working together with the industry. Because, as you know, everybody that gets involved in shipping, there's so many people in the legal side drift into shipping. So they, they kind of, they, they hadn't intended to have a career in shipping and then suddenly, you know, they know somebody or they, they get some experience. But once you get involved in it, it's, it's addictive. I mean, one of the great things about this industry from the law side is the passion for everybody that actually is involved in shipping. I mean, we, we, we love the industry and the sector. No, it's, uh, it's something that clearly comes through. Um, and uh, that, I think that is a passion that you see in people in the industry, you know, across the industry, all different sectors. What do you feel this project has achieved so far? And what do you hope it to achieve? You know, obviously you are bringing the four charities together in that event you're talking about in a few weeks' time. So, you know, what, what other things can you see this achieving? The immediate thing it's achieved is it, it has raised funds. We have had a lot of downloads from Spotify and uh, iTunes. So people are listening to the track. That means people are talking about it. But we've got to do more. Uh, what what we haven't managed to resolve yet, and something I'm I'm not going to give up about, is getting mainstream media attention. I mean, great attention from you guys. Great attention from the other maritime publications. But you know, we really wanted to get this on national TV. We wanted to get it in the national newspapers. We wanted to get it on national radio and. We we didn't get that interest. Um, so I still want this to go wider and more viral to everybody that relies upon shipping and seafarers for almost everything they do every day. So that's something I want to keep working and pushing. And hopefully through London International Shipping Week and other opportunities, we'll have the opportunity to 
push and push and push the project. I mean, if you think of Holding Back the Year, Simply Red, I think it was released four times before it got to number one. And the first two two times it was released, I don't think it even got in the top 30. So we'll keep releasing this and pushing it until we get it to number one. Excellent. I I wish you um, good luck with that. So our our listeners can go on to Spotify or similar platforms and listen to this? Yeah, so it's on all the normal download platforms. We've got a landing page on the INS website. You can find it from all the charities. So if you look up Sing for Seafarers, Google that, that's going to take you. But all your normal download sites uh, will be able to access the track. Excellent. And do look out for those videos and those testimonials because they are they really tell the story. Okay, excellent. Um, I really uh, urge our listeners to check it out and uh, tell your friends about it as well. Tell people who are not in shipping about this and see if we can get this to number one. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, thank you, Julian. Um, it's been great having you on the Maritime Podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.